Okay, so that was a little weird. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. Good afternoon. Yes, a little peekaboo there with the thing. It's very easy to make this, to make us disappear. Uh oh. Uh oh. You forgot a volume, honey. I heard you counting them off over there, dear. How many, how many electronic devices do you own? iPad, my phone, my desktop, and one of them just was still a tiny bit not. Do you want to play peekaboo again here with them? Sure. Oh. Okay. There we go. Okay. Okay. This is enough. Oh my gosh. You know uh, what's going to happen in a minute? He's going to do it, and we're oh, not yeah, coming it's back. Get all messed up. <laughs> I better control myself. Well, yes, yes. yes. Well, it's kind of a rainy day, and it's gray, and it's supposed to rain real heavily. Hopefully, it'll the rain, the the heavy part will be through here before six thirty, when we're heading up for the concert tonight, the United with Ukraine so. benefit concert tonight. I hope so. This is the close, closest outfit I had to the supporting Ukraine. I know sort of a, in the family of yellow and gold. Yellow, I know, but I didn't. I have mean, yellow, yellow and blue. Yellow, yeah, yellow, yellow, yellow so. and blue. Yes, yes. Well, very good. I don't have anything. Hence, I wore my lumberjack shirt. Yes, that is the shirt that looks like we're we're in the week of Christmas. We might be expecting some snow later today. It's lightweight. Cold but... front came through though, <laughs> okay. right today, right? Okay. All righty. As you can tell, we're just a little we're bit in, spunky we're in rare today. Form. I don't know why. But... Okay. Anyway, but we're glad that all of you are here today as we resume our journey through Isaiah. Um, I do have one announcement, of course, and that is about the Tuesday class. The Tuesday class is going back into Piro Hall tomorrow. Yes. And I was down there this morning, and uh, tables are set up, chairs are set up, Connie sent up plenty. So I don't know how many people are going to come, but we'll have chairs for everyone. And um, you remember we'll you just... can always bring your lunch. Most people do bring their lunch. A lot do. Some kind of... some of the people like go to lunch after one yeah. thirty, but um... but mostly I teach and watch people eat lunch. I'm eating. I know yeah, that. I know. <laughs> I know. I know how that goes. So so we'll do that tomorrow, and it'll be the same time, twelve to one fifteen, and it will still be streamed. So if you are a person. Who, who needs to take advantage of the streaming. That should all happen. You'll still be able to ask I, questions and stuff. I will be sitting just like I do on Sunday mornings or through all these right? classes. She'll be the, Patty will be and the interface be with the with the online people. Give it to Scott. So anyway, yeah, that's awesome. So it should be, it should be should great. Be full. Yeah. And we'll be and in John 19. If you don't normally come on Tuesday and you would just like to start, I mean, this is almost like a new beginning. We haven't done this for yeah. two years. We are in John. John We're, 19. So it's very Lenten because very we are Lenten. We are at the cross. That's yes. where we are in John 19. So it's John 19 is at the cross. So it's actually a great place to start. Really, So it it's is. a good, the next few weeks will be very Lenten feeling to them. I think leading up to, to the resurrection yeah. in the Gospel of John. So that'll be great. Um, let's see. What else? Any other thing in the way of announcements? The concert tonight, the benefit concert tonight. Benefit concert Hope you're tonight. going. If you can't go, please make a donation anyway. Or if you're made a if you made a donation or bought tickets 
and you decide you can't get there because of weather tonight, just 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 let them keep your money and you, you know if you can, please if you can yeah, let them keep your money as if gone, you had gone, right. so that they can because uh, it's all going to go to a great great yes. cause. And the thing about giving to UMCOR, which I only found out once I became a Methodist, was that 100% of what you give, so if you give $50, $50 goes directly to the cause. I try to be real careful about who we give to and check like how much the administration costs are, how much the advertising costs are, because sometimes you're, you're shocked. I mean, you look and you've given $50 and $10 has gone to the cause. Right. And um, this is one of those. There's a, a number of them that are very, very good, you know, to give to. But Umcor, they uh, we already have the all the makings of the Methodist Church, so because the, the just gets the Methodist Church United. Yes, covers all the overhead and admin yes. for Umcor. So the money that Umcor receives for relief efforts it all goes to relief directly to it. So okay, alrighty. I think I it's guess time I can for pray you to pray. Yes. Into class. Will you pray that there's no hail? Yes, I okay, will. Okay, thanks. Gracious Lord, we are gathered here on this Monday. And it is a kind of a heavy weather day with rain. And we there is a possibility of heavy storms, rain, hail, tornadoes. We just pray that the weather will stay, uh, will get good rain, but that will avoid um, the worst of it because uh, it always means hardship for so many people. And, so, and um, we pray that your Holy Spirit will uh, move among us today, open up the words and the scroll of Isaiah for us, um, as you have been doing um, ever since we started this journey through this very large and challenging uh, Old Testament book. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Scoot okay. over. Okay, my love. All right. So, I'm going to swing the camera around a little bit here. Dial down the brightness a tad. It's kind of getting brighter and darker outside. So, we'll do a, We'll keep our studio lighting as perfect <laughs> as we possibly can. So, friends, okay, so let's see. We are in Isaiah 10, and I want to begin at Isaiah 10. Chapter 10, verse 20. We did read through a few of the verses right there last week, but I want to go back just, just so we really... One of the challenges on Isaiah is maintaining a grip on the larger picture of what is happening in the scroll, how it's, how it's, how these, are, how these words are coming forth. And so when you come to, to chapter 10, verse 20, you've just finished this long... Right, Patty? Long section Absolutely. on the arrogance of Israel Absolutely. and the arrogance of Assyria and all of the consequences that are going to flow from, from Israel's abandonment of the God who had given them the law and Assyria's unwillingness to embrace the God who is. Right? I mean, God is not just the God of the Israelites. God is the God of everyone. God is the God of the Israelites, the Assyrians, <laughs> to go forward, the Romans, the Greeks, Americans, Russians, Putin, Biden, all the rest. God is the God of, of all. And so... In Romans 2, Paul writes that 
everyone, everyone should be able to grasp that there is this creator. And, and so everyone bears some responsibility to come to know the God who is. And um, uh, Assyria and the kings, kings generally are an arrogant bunch. And so there was this, all this long, long sections about the arrogance of Israel and the arrogance of Assyria, which is the northern kingdom, which is poised right there to gobble up the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, like, like grasshoppers. So let me just, let me just let you glance at the maps again. I don't have any, any new maps today. Um, this is the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. They have been apart for two hundred years. Sadly, right? They're 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 all Abraham's family. The the ten tribes. <laughs> the twelve tribes, the twelve tribes, right? They're all God. They're all God's people. They're all Abraham's family, but they split apart. And Assyria, which is you know to the north, is just waiting like like locusts to sweep across and consume both the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And everyone assumes that that is exactly what is going to happen. So we come to verse twenty. And Scott, again, I'm going to post this because yeah. people have asked me to do that, to post it in the notes exactly where you're starting from okay. so that they join I, like... Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20. The remnant. Your Bible probably has a section title there that says something like the remnant, I would guess. Okay. Yeah, it's easy for me to get ahead. I get all kind of worked up and excited, you know, but it's shoot, all good. It's if I'm not excited good. about the Bible, who's going to be? <laughs> right? Okay. All right. So, all this is happening. And so God then steps forward and says in verse 20, in that day, right? In that day when, de when destruction is rolling forward, the remnant, there's that word, that we've talked about, the remnant of Israel. There's a, there's a theme across Scripture that, that God will ensure that there is a remnant of faithful. It may appear that it's all doom, 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 but God's purposes almost demand a remnant of faithful people who will stay true to God and that God can use to carry forward God's purposes, which is to save humanity, to reconcile humanity to himself. So, verse 20, In that day the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, meaning the Israelites, um, let me just pause for one second, just to refresh something I've, I said maybe the first week, but I haven't said again. There's a lot of poetry in the prophets. So the first line in that day, the remnant of Israel, second line, the survivors of Jacob, the, the second line repeats the first, but expresses it, the, the idea of the first, but expresses it differently. Because the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, those are basically synonyms. That's, that's kind of how wrote, um, Hebrew poetry works. It rhymes ideas. 
So in that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember that a big problem here is that the, the Israelite king is going to Assyria looking for protection. He's very good in the ways of the world. But rather than turning to the Lord God for protection and for wisdom, he's, he's offering to make a very worldly alliance trying to avoid the destruction by the Assyrians. And um, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, and now when I look at what's happening with Ukraine, you know, I mean, the Russians were one of the guarantors of Ukraine's sovereignty when Ukraine gave up its nukes wow. not that long ago. And that wasn't worth, as people say, wasn't worth the paper it was written on. So in that, verse 20, in that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. That encapsulates what God wants from his people. To rely upon God. To rely upon God. Verse 21. A remnant will return. From the destruction will return to Israel. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. They're going to turn back to God. Even, they don't even have to make a geographic return. It's really just return to God. You know, there's a word for that. The word is repentance. I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians, don't really know what repentance means. We kind of tend, tend sometimes to think, oh, it means to be I'm sorry for it, or I'll do a little better next time. Repentance, picture a Texas U-turn on the interstate. I love them. I don't like to go to places that don't have them. I like a, I like those Texas U turns where you can just go up to the end, you know, go up to the uh, overpass, quick U turn, and you're you've you've changed direction. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a U turn from your own way or the world's ways to God's way, and so you exit. You turn and get back on the highway in the right direction, got toward God rather than away from God. That's what repentance is. Verse 21, a remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people be like the sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Saying that, gosh, you know, it's only going to be a small number. It's not going to be most people. It's just a few, and I've, I've said before that if you carry this forward, you come to Jesus. And a way to think about Jesus is a remnant of one, not even a remnant of a few, but a remnant of one who is faithful to God every day and in every way. Verse 22, destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. There is a moral fabric in God's creation. And these people have chosen against God for so long that 
that they're they've written their own doom and it is righteous you know we want we want wrongs to be put right do we not absolutely we say it's not fair if it's not we want things to be put right we want putin to stand to account we want the generals who 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 order the bombing of these civilian neighborhoods and buildings we want them to stand to account that's right it's not wrong it's right so here the destruction has been decreed god says overwhelming and righteous because god is righteous Verse 23, the Lord, Yahweh Almighty, Yahweh Sebaoth, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Okay? It is, it is the moral fabric that, that God has woven into his creation is God's creation. It's God who has created this fabric of right and wrong and consequences that flow from doing the right things and the wrong things. There, verse 24, Therefore this is what the Lord, Yahweh Almighty, says, My people who live in Zion do not need to be afraid of the Assyrians who beat you with the rod and lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon my anger against you will end and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. It's the way of empires to think that they're going to stand forever. They're going to be as strong as they ever were. Um, and it's just, not, it's just not the way of the world. And the Assyrians who are on the top, the top, <laughs> the top of the pyramid right now, well, the Assyrians are going to not too long in the future, counted in, counted in a few decades, are going to be supplanted by the Babylonians. And then they're going to be supplanted. And their supplanters are going to be supplanted by somebody else. 26. Yahweh Almighty, the Lord Almighty, will lash them with a whip as when he struck down Midian at the rock of Horeb, and he will raise his staff over the waters as he did in Egypt, as to say, Assyria will not escape the consequences of their own choices. In that day, their burden, God says to his people, will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. Now, we live in a culture in which calling people fat isn't exactly what we do. None of us want to be fat, okay? But if you live in a world of a subsistence diet and you really don't know where your next meal's coming from and life is a fight for calories, well, that's pretty good. You're living the good life if you're fat. So the, the idea here is the yoke on your neck from the Assyrians is going to be broken off because you're doing so well that you're going to grow fat and the yoke won't fit you anymore and so it'll pop off. I'm guessing that in the Hebrew, this is not an easily translated little bit there. <laughs> but I don't know. And then he goes on. Okay. 
They enter Ayeth. They pass through Migron. They store supplies at Michmash. They go over the pass and say, we'll camp overnight at Geba. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul flees. Cry out, daughter Gilam. Listen, Laisha. Poor Anathos. Madmana is in flight. The people of Geban take cover. What those all are, they're all these little place names on the road from the northern kingdom of Israel into Jerusalem. So they're all, see, so they're all these place names. So kind of imagining that the Assyrian, that the Assyrian army is sweeping in and just rolling through one after another, one after another, one after another. It's not much, gosh, I guess I'm, I'm seeing so much of this now. It's not really any different than the maps we see on the news that are depicting all the time which, which, which cities and towns the Russians have taken as they're, you know, as they keep making their way further and further into Ukraine. That's what those are. They're just place names. Until finally, look at verse 32. This day they will halt at Nob. Nob is a town north of uh, Israel. They will shake their fist at the Mount of Daughter Zion, at the hill of Jerusalem. Right? They're going to shake their fist. Jerusalem creates issues for the attacker because of its elevation. But as I said last week, what happens is... It as told in the book of Kings, the Assyrian army sweeps through the sweeps over the northern kingdom of Israel. It's gone. They sweep their way on into Judah. They they roll on in toward Jerusalem, but then are turned away by God, who frightens them in the night, and they all flee. This frightens them in the night. And the Assyrians go running back to Assyria. So then the scroll gets very, the prophet gets very poetic in verse 33. See the Lord, Yahweh Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power, the lofty trees, the Assyrians, because they're mighty and tall, right? The top will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. Okay, Assyria doesn't stand a chance against the Lord God Almighty. Of course not. You know, if God chooses to intervene, well, God's going to accomplish God's purposes in that right, in, in that respect. Why does God intervene where God does, when God does? Hmm. Well, in my experience, that's just a question that's not for you or me. I don't know. I, I can't inhabit the mind of God. I can't inhabit anybody's mind. I have enough trouble staying inhabited in my own mind. So, um, well, when God intervenes, as God does with the Assyrians, as they come to Jerusalem, they are sent packing without, there's no bloodshed or anything. They just become, God raises up a great fright. They're frightened and they run. They flee. So, anyway. Okay. Anything more about that over there, Patty? Any questions? Sorry if I have, I know y'all see me, so you see me fighting my nose 
problems. It's allergies. just, it's just you know, I suffer from allergies all the time, and we're coming up on the time of year when it gets worse and worse, and my nose is itching right now. And there we go. Can't help it. It reminds me a little like we're not given an answer why, as you said, why God is going to choose this time, but it's kind of like in previous in the old gospel uh, in the Old Testament when there's statements like. And God remembered his people, mm. or God remembered Israel. And you you know he really didn't forget about them. Right, but right. there comes that time when it's almost like he says enough is enough. The time has come to act. That's what the Hebrew idiom remembered on God's part is about. That now is the time. Why is it that time? I don't know. I don't know. I could it be 100 years sooner, 100 years later? I don't know. But when, like at the, at, the, at the book of Exodus, at the end of the second chapter, it says God remembered the promises right. he had made. And he set about, about the, yeah, well, no, it was. He sets about the rescue of his people. And, and I guess the thing, it, you know, the answer is just like it was in Job. Excuse me, I'm God, <laughs> I'm you're God, not. God, you're not. <laughs> and that's... I don't have to, who I don't are you have to, to think fill that, you in on right. every Who decision. are you to think that you could, you know, inhabit my mind, God says. So anyway, okay. Cool. All right, so now we've had the arrogance of Israel, the arrogance, which is really the arrogance of God's people. Because honestly, one thing to take away from this is that um, Isaiah is a prophet to the southern kingdom. Well, they are convinced that the Assyrian Empire is going to roll over them, too. They have every reason to be convinced of that. It's utterly shocking when God intervenes and sends the Assyrians packing. It's not something that... They just thought they were doomed. Doomed, doomed, doomed. Okay? And in chapter 11 we get a messianic passage. It's a passage that is um, carries a lot of, of hope, right? That in the midst of this destruction and the arrogance and the Assyrians, it carries a message of hope, um, which the prophets always bring. I'll say it a hundred times before we're done with this journey through Isaiah. That yes, there's a lot of passages that are filled with, you know, really pretty much gloom and doom because guess what? We sin a lot. So there's a good bit of gloom and doom to go around, but always these passages of hope. And look at chapter 11, verse one. This is a, this is a famous one. Uh, this is sort of a key, key Christian one because we see Jesus in this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Um, so let's just talk about Jesse. Okay? Jesse is the father of King David, and I thought we would take a moment and go to 1 Samuel 16 and just enjoy the story a bit of how Jesse's son, David, becomes the anointed of Israel. So, oh, yeah. 
Okay? So, go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And I'll put a little context around it. Um, Samuel is the last of the great judges of Israel. It is about maybe a little bit before 1000 BC, 300 years before what we're reading about in Isaiah now with the Assyrians and the rest. The For the people of Israel, their king has been God. Well, if somebody says, well, who's your king? They would say, well, God is. But now, but, but they, got, they got it in their heads that they wanted a king like everybody else had. And so they, they told Samuel, the, the judge, um, what they wanted. And God tells Samuel, oh, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And we're going to give them what they want. You better go tell them they don't really want a king because kings are takers. They'll take everything you got. They'll take everything you've got. But yeah, if they really do want this, then okay, they're adults. So so Samuel tells them and they insist upon a king. So they get a king named, so God raises up a king for them named Saul, who looks the part, right? Tall, majestic looking, king, very king, king, kingly looking. But Saul proves to be a disappointment because he will not obey God. He thinks he knows better. On a couple of occasions that don't seem that big, but they betray Saul's mindset. Ah, he is king now. He knows best. He'll take God's advice, but he doesn't really have to be obedient. You know, not, that, that's not God's way. So God's now got this problem. Israel's got this problem because they have this disobedient king of the United Twelve Tribes. So look at chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. If you want to type that in there, Patty. Yes, we'll only be here for a minute, though. If I see anybody joining, I'll okay. turn it on. So Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil, because he's going to have to go anoint somebody else and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Wow, I mean, Bethlehem's a no-account place, really. It just means house of bread. It's south of Jerusalem, and there's this guy there that's named Jesse. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Samuel hears about it, he will kill me. And Yahweh said, take a heifer with you and say, this is to Saul, I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what Yahweh said. Okay, so the sacrifice is covering, it's kind of what, subterfuge. <laughs> Samuel did what Yahweh said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked him, because he's like from the king, right? You know, this is Samuel. Do you come in peace? And Samuel said, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to Yahweh. 
Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Well, surely Yahweh's anointed stands here before Yahweh. So Eliab is one of a very impressive, he's a very impressive son of, of Jesse. But Yahweh said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance. Do not consider his height, for I have rejected him. Yahweh does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, No, no, Yahweh has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nope, 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 nor has Yahweh chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to add my own phrase. I'm exhausted, but Yahweh has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Well, Jesse said, Well, you know, I mean, there is still the youngest. He's out back tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We won't sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him, sent for David, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And Yahweh said to Samuel, right? Rinse, rise, rinse, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of Yahweh came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. That is the story. Does David comprehend what's happening? No. Does Saul know what's happening? No. But David has been anointed as the second king of the united Israel. And he will always be the idealized king of Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, God comes to, to David and makes a profound promise that one from his family would always sit on the throne of David. And so, so David becomes, he sort of prefigures um, what becomes a messianic figure whom God will raise up to save Israel. And that's how you end up with these messianic passages in the midst of all the doom and destruction. It's, these are passages that look ahead to the day when this rescuer, this savior, human, human, not, not divine. I mean, God is divine. David's not divine. David's a human. But when, when, when God will bring forward someone and lift up someone from the line of David who will be anointed king as David was and the word for the anointed one is what? Messiah. Mashiach. It's that simple. Messiah is the anointed one and the kings were anointed and in the proper way to understand what happens in 1 Samuel 
16 is that David is really now the rightful king because he is God's anointed king. That matters a whole lot more than what the tribes have to say. That's the world's way. The world's way is to worry about what the tribes are going to say about all this and what the politics of it all is. No, no, you see? When God makes his choice, it's God's choice. So, you know, when I was preparing this today, I pulled out, of all things, my Jewish study Bible. There we go. Can you believe I have a Jewish study Bible? Of course they can. Of course they can. <laughs> it's pretty massive, but um, it's helpful. I could probably pull it out more than I do, but, you know, there's only so much you can do. So, I, I went to... Um, why don't you go back to... Well, I'll do the same. Go back to Isaiah 11. Right there at the first, because we're talking about this shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse, Jesse, like a tree stump. You know, you leave a tree stump in your yard, sometimes they have shoots that spring out of them. You might wish they didn't, <laughs> but they do. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So here's what I just, here's what this study Bible has to say about this. This Jewish study Bible. And it, it says it begins a portion of Isaiah that is about the ideal king in the peaceful future. The poem's final section is a messianic and eschatological. Eschatological means um, dealing with the last things. Of course, the last things are the new heavens, the new earth in Revelation. The phrase, the new heavens, the new earth, you know where that comes from? The scroll of Isaiah. The poem's final section is a messianic and eschatological prophecy. Once vain human striving for empire ends, a perfect Davidic king will reign in Jerusalem and all the world will enjoy peace and equity. Now there's a lot of good thoughts in that one sentence. I don't know who wrote it. But there's a lot of good thoughts that once we put away the world's ways, our commitment to greed and empire, then peace will be allowed to flourish, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Israel or Canaan, but in the whole world. Because the mission that God is on is a mission to rescue all of humanity. Genesis 12, 3, all the families will be blessed through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth. Jesus' great commission is about all the nations, all the lands, to the ends of the earth. Right? So, any thoughts or questions about all that right there, that, that little excursion? into 1 Samuel. You know, the book of Samuel, first and second, the book of Samuel is the most well-written book in the Bible. If you just want to sometimes sit down and enjoy reading your Bible, just pure enjoyment of the story, pick up the book of Samuel. And, you know, as you probably know, it's the book of Samuel is one book. 
It's an artificial division into 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. It's one big book called Samuel. And it's almost novelistic. It's very... And there are a lot of eye-opening stories in there, including David and Bathsheba. So, any questions? Anything you want to add, Patty? No, I'm good. No, I'm are we good? Do we have any any idea who um wrote Samuel? No. No idea at all. Who wrote it, who the editors were, none of that. We have no idea. But it's ancient. It's ancient, sure. Yeah. Sure. It comes from a time at least... 600 years before Jesus and wow. probably was born out of writings much earlier than that because the stories are so detailed. You know, there had to be something there that people had. They they did have, they were an oral culture, so they had skills of passing on stories that we don't really have anymore. We don't know how to do that and ensure that the story stays um, together with a lot of integrity and so forth. But but that's what they did. We write everything down. They they couldn't do that. So they, they had these oral traditions and oral ways of keeping stories accurate and whole and meaningful. And when you when you read the stories, they just they just come to life. Well, I'm gonna do Samuel again sometime for too long. Just 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 because I love it. Lauren just put for you that she never noticed it before, how, you know, Samuel connects to Isaiah in those particular um, verses there. Yes, which we're just about to come to 11.3. So, um, because we know this is so ancient, but we know that hundreds of years later, um, what, two, three hundred years later that Isaiah is writing his compared to... About 300 years after David. So, can we assume that Isaiah does have copies or has seen these scrolls of first Samuel? I would not Samuel? assume that. No. He he I but, mean but somehow... we can't really know, can't we? There might be pieces of something that he has. I don't know that Samuel is a I probably wouldn't think it's a finished product by the time of, of so Isaiah. Would it all have been then just passed down orally? Orally and pieces of it written. But I think more of it's oral than we than we might think. Okay. And for us, you see, that instantly gets you into the old telephone game yes. when we were kids, right? right. So what is the difference? What's the difference? Do you and I live in an oral culture? No, we don't. We don't. We email, we text, we write, we have books. We go to documents to establish the truth or the record of something. In the ancient world... Some of that, you know, chronicle, they did have chronicles and records and ledgers, but uh, it, they're very much oral, and they had, gosh, there's a name for it, the art of passing these stories on. And I did some work on this some years ago. Even today in the Middle East, this art of taking of passing on a story or telling on a story telling a story that has been given to you and might go back a thousand years lives on and there's a name attached to the whole thing but i remember reading you know the people who, who had studied this said here's what happens the person who's going to tell this story they don't have free reign by any means the audience is the one who sets the boundaries 
and 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 woe to the storyteller who tries to go outside those boundaries because the integrity of the story must be protected. So sure, they can have a little fun with it, the same way I do when I when I teach First Samuel. When I'm reading it, I'm embellishing the story and going here and there, but you still have the text in front of you. That's kind of the same idea. So, yeah, the difference is they don't play the telephone game because they have these oral skills that you and I just don't have. We don't need them anymore. We write things down. Okay, so let's read on a little bit, and we'll come to Lauren's point about verse 3, which is so good. A shoot will come up. It's like back to 11.1. This is this messianic section about a Davidic king and a time of peace. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, from Jesse's roots, a branch will bear fruit. Right? The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, this branch. I've even read those who try to make a connection between the Hebrew word for branch and the name Nazareth. It, there's a little, there's some similarity. I don't really know that we need to make much out of that, but you know, for Christians, you know, we this is this is Jesus, right? This is Jesus. Verse two: The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. This Davidic king, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. And wisdom begins with God with God's way. It's not streetwise. It begins with God's way. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of Yahweh. It's so easy to get misled by that phrase, fear of the Lord. Because word fear for us is something we, for example, we would associate with what we're seeing in our TV screens coming out of Ukraine. That's not the Hebrew. He fear of the Lord is four words. Fear of the Lord. It's a four it's four words that mean one thing. It speaks to the awesomeness of God. To understand that God is God and we are not. That God's simply not just a better version of us. And when I teach this, I often will think about my experience in Maid of the Mist up at Niagara Falls. When you're down in that little tiny boat at the bottom of the fall and you are just overwhelmed by the power of it all. That's what's meant by the fear of the Lord. Not to be scared of God. But to but to know that God is right and good and God calls us to live a life characterized by righteousness and goodness. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the awesomeness of God. He will delight in the doing of right and good. Of course he will. That's Jesus. Jesus delighted in doing right and good. Jesus was faithful all the way to death, even death on a, on a cross. Of course he did. It was his vocation. It was what he was called to. 
He was a righteous Jew, a good man, a virtuous man. Pick the, pick the culture you want to talk about. He was, he was everything that we see as right and good wrapped up in this one man who delighted in the fear of the Lord, who was wise and understanding, wise in his counsel and his might, the spirit of the knowledge and awesomeness of God, the fear of the Lord, and delighted in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. That's Lauren's point. Lauren's really good that she saw the connection. Because remember back in 1 Samuel 16, when the sons are trotting by, and you get one who trots by that looks like he came out of central casting, right? He's tall, he's strong, he looks like a king. God says, no, I don't judge by outward appearances. I want, I, I look at the heart. So what, what does God say here about this, this messianic figure, this king from the line of David? He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. He will judge the needy. He, so, so I'm thinking of an old saying that I grew up with. We all did. Don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> right? We get so caught up in appearances. Oh my gosh, my gosh, my gosh. It's just appearances. Appearances are deceiving. Up and down the line, there's a, what is that movie? Okay, this is a this I'm reaching. I know nobody out there has seen this, but I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a movie called Shallow Howl. And in the movie, there's this guy who is <laughs> just the shallowest fellow you ever met. And he is getting nowhere with his life and no way with girls and he finally meets Tony Robbins of all people. Actually Tony Robbins, the big the big guy with the big Chin, who does motivational speaking, and Tony Robbins like puts a spell on him or hypnotizes him or something. So what happens to Hal is that what he sees in the appearance of someone is the quality of their heart. So if he dates someone who is what is who who was the star with it? Gwyneth Paltrow? They make Gwyneth Paltrow up to look like she weighs four hundred pounds. The the poor girl, but she he doesn't see her that way because she's good hearted, and he sees her as Gwyneth Paltrow. But there's other people in the movie who are beautiful, hot babes in the world's view, right? And they're sort of monstrous looking to Hal because he doesn't. Everyone he sees, he sees their appearance to him is the quality of their heart. Do I have that right, Patty? You do. Did I tell that about right? You did. And and, and the, the movie, it, you know, it is played by the best person, I think, that could have done it, which is a much younger Jack Black, um, who's normally a pretty funny guy. And, and he actually goes from being obnoxious to actually being kind of charming in this movie, I think. Because I think it's George Costanza. Yeah, but Jack in the beginning, too. I mean, he's only out looking for, as you're okay. saying, a very... Okay. Yes. 
And uh, his best friend never sees it, never understands what Jack is talking about, Jack Black. Okay, I see you now. Okay, anyway. Gwyneth Paltrow as Gwyneth Paltrow. It's a whole different movie than I thought it was going to be when I started watching that movie one day. I know a lot of people were upset about it. I knew a few of them that would not see it because they thought it was um, making fun of some people. But it really turned it's out not, to be, But it's not no, that way, is it? No. no. It just makes you think how, how awful. It's ridiculing, <laughs> it's ridiculing us because we yes. are so quick to judge by appearances. Absolutely. That's what it that God was. God says, I don't judge it. by appearances. I say, look at the heart. Yes. And here we have in 11.3, he will not judge this Davidic king by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth and again you could go th- i don't know how big a book you could fill up but it would be a big book if you just went in and copied into it all of these places just like verse four where it's very clear that god's first concern not his only concern that God's first concern is with the needy and the poor and justice and the oppressed and the widows and the orphans and the hungry and the strangers and the aliens, the people who are on the bottom of the heap. Not God's only concern. But yeah, you can't, you can't read scripture and not come to understand that they are God's first concern. Because people who have people of means can do a lot to take care of themselves. And we do. We do. So, back to the Davidic king. Scott, you did have a question a few minutes back. Susan Faulkner was wondering, does the term fear of the Lord in Scripture, does it ever mean be afraid? Well, I mean, I guess if you were to ask a Hebrew, what, because it's used like 200 times in the Old Testament. (laughs) If you were to ask a rabbi about the phrase, I'm pretty sure the rabbi would say, well, it's about the awesomeness of God and God's commitment to righteousness and goodness, right? So if you are somebody who abuses the needy, abuses the poor, Ignores the orphans and the widows, you should be scared. How about that? As a way to put it. I think that would be... I think that's about probably about right. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so, so, go back to verse 3. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Why does the Davidic king delight in the fear of the Lord? Delight in the awesomeness of God? Delight in the power of God? Well, because... He has the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, right? He's going to judge with righteousness and he's going to look after the needy and the poor. But if you were, I hate to keep using Putin, but darn it, I'm going to. Should Putin fear the Lord? Yes. Yes, he should fear the, he thinks he's awesome. It's God who is awesome. Only God should be held in awe. That's what the word awesome is, right? 
Only God should be held in awe. And, and I guess all of us people are sinful, so there's some element there of, of being grateful um, for the grace of God and that Jesus bears our sins on himself um, that enables us to, to, to stand in the awesomeness of God. So there's a lot that you're right, Patty. There's a lot in Susan. There's a, it's, 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 it's fully dimensioned, but so often you come to it and people will leave there thinking, well, I'm just, I'm supposed to be scared of God because you see God in the Old Testament is this wicked, terrifying figure. And thankfully we have Jesus and we've discovered a new God in him and we can get rid of the God in the Old Testament. That's, and, and that's all so misguided. It's just, it's just. It's just hard to know what to do with. Well, Susan, Susan added after you said all that, so it's dependent on where your heart lies, how to read fear. I think so. I think that's, you know, and we all need to con confess, as we do every once in a while, we say prayers of confession, that we all do the things that we don't do, shouldn't do, and we fail to do the things that we should do. Um... And one day, we will all fully delight in the awesomeness of God, in the fear of the Lord, in the way that Jesus does. Because our sins will have been washed away fully, manifestly, I guess. It's a hard thing to, to, to put into words. Okay, second half of verse 4. He will, this is still the Davidic king, the messianic figure. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Okay? People will stand to account. People will stand to account. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Um, why don't you go to Revelation. I didn't do this before class, but let's do it on the fly. Let's be impromptu. Revelation 19, verse 1. Okay. I'm sorry, Revelation 1, did you say? Revelation 19. 19. Oh, Scott, come on, Scott. <laughs> this is why I don't do things <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> Okay, I have it the right place. Revelation 19, verse 11. <laughs> I was doubting myself for a moment there. <laughs> Revelation 19, verse 11. I was pretty sure it was Revelation 19. 
Okay, so. So this is Jesus riding in, in triumph, in victory. Okay, he's going to take on the forces of wickedness, the beasts and the rest. Revelation 19, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Fury at what? Fury at injustice, oppression, war makers. There is much in this world that you want God to be furious about. You want a God who is furious about what is happening in Ukraine. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he comes out and these names are written on him, right? So if we go back to Isaiah chapter 11, Verse 5, we get these same kind of images. <coughs> oh, I'll let you catch up to me. I was getting carried away with myself there for a moment. I was so excited. Still speaking of this messianic figure, this Davidic king, righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness will be the sash around his waist right? That's who Jesus is. That's the Jesus in the stark, bizarre imagery of Revelation comes riding in to defeat those who have chosen the way of evil, have chosen the way of the destruction of the good. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. So this came to mind to me in Ephesians where Paul is talking about us putting on the armor of God. That would work too. So in, in Ephesians, Paul talks about putting on the, the belt and the helmet the of truth and the breastplate and all this, all these things as a way of talking about the life to which we are called. Very good, Patty. You've done this a while, haven't you, Patty? A few times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting, I think, that like as you as you go through the Bible, you'll find you'll make little connections, but it won't always be the same ones. 
right? You'll make Definitely. new connections yeah. to different places, and it's, it's all awesome. So, verse 6. What kind of world is being ushered in by this Davidic king? Peace. Peace. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. We would call them today natural enemies, right? Sure. That's the phrase we use. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. They'll all lie down together and a little child will lead them. Is it hard to see how, why the Christians so quickly gobbled up Isaiah? Not, not me. Surely this is a signpost to Jesus. That's all I can say. The cow, in verse 7, will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, as opposed to eating the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. In other words, everybody, human, animal kingdom, everybody's living at peace, safety, security. Nobody has anything to fear. You know, um, there is a portion of a supposed ending to the Gospel of Mark about snake handling and uh, there's a connection between that supposed ending of Mark that some people will find printed in their Bibles and and this passage and it has led Christians to have this idea that if they were really faithful Christians they could play with snakes poisonous snakes and never get bitten and, and die Okay, so you've probably heard of snake handling like that. Not just any old snakes, I mean poisonous snakes. Well, a couple of observations. First of all, that ending of Mark is not genuine. It's not, an, it's not original to Mark. The original ending to Mark, in my view, in most people's view, has been lost. Um, that's why Mark ends so abruptly. The second thing is that we live between the times. The kingdom of God has come already and not yet. And if you believe that right now in 2022, you can just handle all the poisonous snakes you want and not be harmed by it is over it's forgetting the not yet part of the already and not yet. Because this, this, this vision of this peaceful kingdom um, in Christian theology has come already, but not yet. This, this is a vision of the kingdom of God. And it's come already, but not yet. And so if you have an over-realized, is a fancy word, an over-realized, eschatology for another fancy if you over realized eschatology you think that well okay if I have faith in Jesus I can handle all these poisonous snakes nope not there are fewer Christians in those snake handling churches than there would be 
if they had never adopted the practice. So, no, that's not it. It's just this vision of, of a day that still lies ahead of us when the kingdom of God is fully realized, fully manifest. We're all living within it. The new heavens, the new earth. No more tears, no more crying. Wolves lying down with lambs. Children able to play with snakes, poisonous, whatever. You get the picture, right? Verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, God says. That's, that's, the image is of Zion, which becomes the image of the whole world. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh. As the waters cover the sea. Hmm. Wow. In that day, the root of Jesse, the Davidic king, the Messiah, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations, that's everybody, will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Now you see now right then, you grasp, right, that it isn't as simple as just writing Jesus across all of these lines. It's a signpost to Jesus. There's nothing here about resurrection. The Jews of this time don't know anything about the resurrection of the body. That will come. It will come later. But not in a, not, not 700 years before Jesus. I mean, you, you, you can sort of begin to dig little pieces of it out, like in Job and a couple other places maybe, but as... As, as a fully formed doctrine, belief of, the, of most of the Jewish people, that still was ahead. So this root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people, from where? From all the places they've had to go. Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, from the islands of the Mediterranean. He, this Messiah, will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. I guess it's God. God will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. What? Oh, we're almost out of time. Okay, so, so we're going to come back to 4 to 11, 12 next week. Because this is about the restoration of Israel, you see, because Israel is being scattered during the time of Isaiah. It will become vastly scattered by the time of Jesus. And the prophet Ezekiel, in between the two, is given this vision of a valley filled with dry bones. Dry bones. And in this vision, the dry bones begin to knit themselves back together. And it's just incredible. Just incredible. And so, 
we will talk about that vision a little bit next week and we'll come back to this portion of Isaiah um, just so you kind of know what I'm doing with this when we come to a messianic section like this we're spending more time slowing way down now maybe next week or the week after we're going to come to a section of Isaiah that we are basically going to read a little bit of but skip large portions because what you have is judgment on Babylon judgment on this judgment on that judgment on this judgment on that foreign country and there it, it just gets it's overwhelming and there's not I, I, I don't think we need to read through every word of every one of those oracles because you would get you you would probably stop tuning in <laughs> if we did so um you know so that's how you know there are ebbs and flows in the scroll of isaiah and as christians we particularly want to slow down and take in these these messianic passages okay so there we are that's today the sun's coming out hallelujah the sun before the storm, I think, Chris Crook. I read his Facebook post today. He said the atmosphere is going to explode <laughs> late afternoon. Wow. I said, okay. All righty, Chris. Like that we don't want that to happen. Yeah, no, we don't. Exactly. <laughs> so good class. Thanks. Good class, honey. Thanks. Well, yeah. you were awesome today. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're, aw you're awesome every day, dear. <laughs> Not just today. Yes, You're awesome it. every moment of every oh, day. Okay. <laughs> Everyone else is getting sick out yeah. there now. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> All righty. So um, I guess we're just going to close in prayer. Close we're going to open pray. The weather, you know, kind of misses us by quite a bit today. I, I feel bad for any place that it's going to go, but I, I do pray that it misses us. Yeah, because we got this concert tonight. We got the concert tonight. Benefit. But, uh, you know, Benefit we don't concert. wish bad weather to go someplace and... You know what I mean. Yes, we just, yes. we want the cap to hold. We do. We want the cap to hold, whatever <laughs> that means exactly. So anyway, please join with me while we pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. And we are grateful for the coming rain. We know that we need it badly. And that will be a really good outcome today. But Lord, we pray that you would spare us the really bad weather and the, and the destruction that sometimes follows that and um, we are grateful lord for this time that we get to gather each week and study your word and we've been doing this monday class for over two years now and lord we are we're praying that a lot of people come back tomorrow to the in-person class in Piro hall tomorrow at eleven forty-five for our our bible study then Lord, we pray that you would hold this group close. We pray, God, that you would keep us healthy, Lord, and safe. And we pray for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives. We love you, Lord. Um, Lord, I did see our, our old friend, Mara, um, Cora Marburger, excuse me, was online just now. And Cora, we know you're going through some pretty heavy-duty cancer treatment. And, and we are lifting you up in prayer that God helps you get through all of this well. All this we pray, Lord, in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Amen. And Tuesday tomorrow is in person and online. I, oh, I did. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it online. definitely will be online, too. too. Yep. My little, All of it's there. A little book there. My little, we'll be doing it. Yep. You got it. We got it. Love y'all. Adios. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Have a good day.